Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Little Fish is a romance set in the near future of Seattle, teetering on the brink of calamity. Is the fourth feature from director Chad Hardigan. Uh, by the way, thank you. You've been on for this is uh, Martin Bonner and as well as Morrison America. Uh, I yeah. I thank you. I just meant to say that before we got to, uh, the film stars Olivia Cook as well as Jack O'Connell. Uh, Little Fish opens up in the midst of a global pandemic called a neuroinflammatory affliction (NIA), a severe and rapid Alzheimer's-like condition in which people's memories disappear in some cases fading over weeks or months, others vanishing in an instant. The film centers on Jude Williams and Emma Ryerson as they grapple with the realities of NIA interspersed with glimpses of from the past as the two meet and their relationship blooms. The film again is called Little Fish and we're joined today by the director and then we chat hard again. Chad, thank you so much for being here again. Thanks for having me. So tell me what inspired the film. I know this started as a short story, but uh, what inspired the, you to be part of this project? Yeah, it was a short story first. And then uh, a guy named Mattson Tomlin wrote a screenplay of it. And I just got sent it, luckily, because the company making the film, one of the guys in charge of development there used to be the assistant of my agent. So uh, he was very familiar with me. And uh, even from Martin Bonner days, liked me. And you, so it's a lesson to us all to, to be nice to the assistants because they end up running the show uh, <laughs> sooner or later. But uh, he sent it to me and, and you know, I don't think a lot of people would have been able to draw the line from Morris from America directly to Little Fish. They're so different. So it was good to have someone familiar with me. And, and I, I read it and I really liked it. I liked it for two reasons. One, it was, it was very easy to picture the movie and it just sort of jumped off the page and right into my mind. And there were images that, that were so distinct right away. And, and I wanted to see them. Um, I wanted to see them brought to life. Uh, and then also I, I related to the, the story in the sense that if this was late 2018, so it was pre pandemic, but it still felt like the world was kind of crumbling. There was the stories at the time were, uh, children locked in cages at the border. And there was scientists saying we only had 10 years to address climate change before it was too late, all these things. So I, at the same time, my girlfriend was pregnant with our first child and, and there was a lot of love and intensity and optimism in my home, but then like a lot of doom and gloom in the outside world. And it was a daily struggle of like, how much do I engage with the doom and gloom at the expense of what I have right in front of me. And, and I really thought that the script illustrated that feeling up to the point where the doom and gloom, you know, enters your front door and makes you confront it. I related to it on a personal level and, and uh, I met with Matson and talked about it and we, we were on the same page and, and then it was a go. Yeah, I would put this film in a pretty small group of films where it is slyly science fiction it's mm -hmm. it's it's a subversively science fiction but yet it, in another way it's it's science fact in yeah. in, in some ways right and the way yeah. that 
and at the time that you were talking about 2018, we're also we had just kind of come through a period of time where the world was was frightened of SARS, mm -hmm. the AIDS pan pandemic. I mean, there were so mm -hmm. many. There have been we have gotten a lot of warning shots, shall we say, yeah. over these last 20 or 25, 30 years, that this is this is not so science fictiony as it would have appeared to have been maybe 30 or 40 years ago, right? Yeah. And certainly not today, but uh, when certainly but yeah, not there was today. yeah, there yeah. was in the script um, some references to SARS and avian flu and um, some other recent examples uh, that we ended up cutting out of the movie. But yeah, absolutely, it, it felt like it felt like the science, the type of science fiction that um, you know, again, like it is one of the things that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind gets right is is that it uh, tries to keep those elements as backdrop treat them as just kind of normal noise in the the lives of the characters that it's putting the focus on yeah and so we, we tried to do the same yeah there's something matter of fact about the the way that people are kind of handling this until there isn't until they're not yeah. until they're yeah. not handling it and and i think that's there's a again the science fiction part of it uh is uh this it, in some ways we live in a society that uh, for me, I'm just as a personal observation here. We live in a society that is is kind of predicated on amnesiac, amnesia-like behavior. We mm -hmm. we tend more and more and more in our news cycles to forget what happened last week, two weeks ago. It's it's harder and harder to have context for what's happening around us. I think that's a better way to put it. And mm -hmm. um, and this film is that. Films like there's no context to the to the sort of to the uh, the general world, the outside world, right? Right. Yeah. Is that yeah? That is fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other than the the just the ways that it directly uh, affects you in the in the exact moment that you're in, and um, if it's not presented to you right here, right now, um, just I will deal, deal with it another time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is. I, I felt like what we were all, a lot of us were trying to do in the last few years and uh, and of course now even more so and it's it's been gratifying is not the right word but it's been you know interesting to see how how correct Matson's writing was in in that people just do their do their daily things and um, live their normal lives uh, as crazy as the world can get outside it's still just you got to got to just get through your day. You know, there's something that reminds me of a network in our lives now where when mm -hmm. when when Howard Beale says, just leave me alone, leave me in my apartment with my steel belted radials <laughs> and my microwave, just leave me alone. This sort of cocooning cluster and this sort of screw the outside world. Yeah. I'm only here because I'm just trying to make it through a world I don't understand. And mm -hmm. in some ways, this this is for me sort of the 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 uh, ether that permeates the film outside of the relationship between the these wonderful characters that you've created with yeah. with Emma and and Jude. So tell, let's so I, I don't want to get too too philosophical here, <laughs> but I, I because this film really has kind of inspired in me a lot of uh, just sort of thinking about not just this relationship, but just what else you're trying to get across in this film. 
That's that's great. Yeah. Love to hear. <laughs> love to hear that. I, I uh, hope I'm on somewhat of the right track here. That's that. That's all. That's if I feel, if you feel like I'm I'm missing something, please let me know. But no, and I would never say anyone was on the wrong track. You know, because it's a movie that um is is really just trying to bring up questions rather than than answer them and uh question yeah. questions like what what is it that we really love about the people that we love is it yeah. really just the shared experiences we've had together and if those were wiped away and we were just left standing in a room with that person um completely anew would would we feel the same way or would we would we be able to build the same exact feeling back and um that was really interesting to me and and also the idea, how do you build a future if you keep having to rebuild the past? You know, there's a lot of films that have looked at memory loss in terms of Alzheimer's or dementia. And it's usually we associate those diseases with people towards the end of their life and never give a thought to the future that it's robbing them of. We only think about, oh, it's sad that they can't remember their history. But um, the way this movie recontextualizes it and, and really makes you think about how there is no future without the past. Um, I thought that was a really interesting question as well. So it's very gratifying to hear that it just makes people think. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to pretend like I have any of the answers. Well, let, let's get to the heart of this. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners, we're talking with Chad Hardigan, and he is the director of this wonderful new film called Little Fish. It is, you can see it now. You can go to littlefish.movie. Uh, it's a, a release through IFC Films. But you can go to littlefish.movie to find out more about the film, but also where you can where you can watch it. And it's on a lot of platforms right now. So I urge yeah. you to check it out. Uh, the heart and soul of this film is Olivia Cook as Emma, as well as Jack O'Connell as Jude. As you mentioned, she's in Sound of Metal. She was also in Thoroughbreds. I love Thoroughbreds. I thought that was a terrific yeah, film. Me too. Uh, and Jude O'Connell, you know him from 71 and Starred Up are the two films that I'm most familiar with for, for him. Yeah. And they are they have such wonderful chemistry. Uh, they are great actors anyway, but it feels like they really bonded in the in these two characters in in their interaction talk a little bit about casting them and how how you see their roles in this film like you i was a huge fan of thoroughbreds that's when i first saw olivia and immediately wanted to work with her one day and uh jack i saw originally in this is england a long long time ago and then again in in 71 and he's, he's great in money monster so those are two actors that I really admired and, and wanted to work with. And then two great actors in and of itself doesn't necessarily always translate into chemistry. Chemistry is magic and it just kind of appears or it doesn't. And um, very fortunate that they were both genuine mutual fans of each other and were excited to get a chance to work with each other. They didn't know each other beforehand. They just were familiar with each other's work. And so they, they brought this mutual respect and then I think I've heard them talk about it, that they they sort of connected personally in that they were both from similar parts of England. They grew up in very similar parts of the world and, and you know, economically and socially, they just kind of had the same background. And so they kind of instantly knew where the other person was coming from. And it just manifested itself in, in chemistry on the very first day of shooting. We had to start shooting with some of the intimate scenes 
you know, I was nervous. I'm sure they were nervous. Everyone's nervous. Um, but from the first take of the first setup, you could tell that this was going to be a real thing and that the movie was going to lives or dies on, on chemistry of the leads. So it was, yeah. it was a great feeling to just see it in action right away and just know that they're, they're, it was going to be there. They, they both have a, there's a very sort of uh, quiet confidence in in their in the way that they appear on screen I feel like mm-hmm. with uh with jack o'connell he takes over when he's on screen and olivia's energy is different but it's it's there's a there's a certain persistence or there's a certain there's quiet confidence i guess i'm i'm talking about confidence for both of them but sure this is a much more understated yeah. way of of coming across in her character where where jack o'connell is more he, you feel like you're, he's gonna, you're gonna get a big hug from him on screen, yeah. right? He's gonna come yeah. out and just grab you, whether or not you want to hug him or not. He's gonna hug you, and with, with, and then with Olivia uh, Cook, she's different. It's a different kind of energy. Is it? Yeah, and they had different styles of acting, um, which again can end up manifesting itself in lots of different ways on screen. But yeah. here, it just seemed like it. It they uh, complemented each other really well. <laughs> He's the kind of guy that would do like a, a hundred takes if you let him and he wants to do it different every time and, and keep finding it. Whereas she, especially because with this script, she had been with it from day one. She just knew it inside and out and could deliver in in one take or five takes, whatever, however many takes you needed. She would always deliver. It was, yeah, again, just complimentary in the end. Yeah. And, and Maybe I, if I had to do anything, it was just kind of make sure that both of their styles were, be, were being accommodated. But yeah, they're just great actors and, and really, real mo- re- real movie stars too you know there's 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 a difference between those two things one doesn't always equal the other and uh, their their command of the screen like you said is is real movie star stuff and the things that i know her for it's just two people basically in thoroughbreds it's the two of them and thoroughbreds in um sound of metal it's the two mm-hmm. of them and yeah. there's just there's something she works really well off yeah. of She's what? a generous, generous actor and, and makes her co-star look better. Yeah. And you mentioned her involvement as she's an executive producer on the film. So she was she became, was obviously familiar with the material, as you said, sort of from the get go. What is that like when you're working with someone who's in the film, who's also on the other side of the of, above the line, below the line kind of relationship? Is that is that fine? I mean, yeah. And this in this case, I, you would never know it. I mean, on set, she was purely there as an actor and to serve the movie as an actor and um and uh, yeah you never got the sense that in between takes she would switch hats and then you know want to want to have more of a bird's eye view of everything that's going on um so yeah you would never know it the only difference really is that in in editing i'd never made a movie where i had to show an actor the uncompleted film so that was nerve-wracking because you know you you want to just you know, the actors put a great deal of trust in me and I always want to do right by them. And, and like, so to show them kind of something that wasn't totally finished was, that was a very vulnerable experience for me. I bet it, <laughs> it was. Well, and the thing, I'm going to, you know, mention some of your previous work, Morrison America, as well as, this is Martin Bonner. There are people out of their elements, right? In this mm-hmm. Morrison America, and then also with this Martin Bonner, these are people outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. One of the things that is always intrigue me and and what I find uh, that you do so well, it's in the details. I think you do a wonderful job of filling in 
the 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 uh, negative spaces with whatever images or whatever whatever it might be, but also in the dialogue. This film is particularly strong in its dialogue. I really mm -hmm. was drawn to the interaction and the way that they yeah the way they talked with one another, the way that they conveyed their honesty with one another. I really thought this was very very strong in terms of just the dialogue and the writing here. I agree. Wish I could take credit for it. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah that that was it was just it was a strong script and then the actors did did their part to you know improve it and uh make sure it was something that they felt like was honest and true to to what their characters would say and yeah. um so I, I i agree i mean that's part of the reason why when i read it it just immediately jumped off the page and into my mind because yeah. it felt true had you worked with Sean McElwee before this? Yeah, yeah, we always work together. He's an old film school buddy, so um, I've known him for twenty years and and have worked with him on every movie. And every movie has been so different that uh, it's great because you know, we, we always have to challenge each other and to try new things and and push each other to. We want each each one to be the best work we've ever done together. Yeah. Uh, so. And and the composer Keegan DeWitt is another one that I've worked with on all my films, and and uh, I love building a career with the both of them, and and feeling like we're growing together. And they're they're the other thirds of my filmmaking brain. Well, I just want to compliment you on that because I th I find that when uh, filmmakers develop these relationships, and particularly with a cinematographer who really has mm -hmm. to have this kind of symbiotic telepathic relationship with a director. I think that is, that's just such a, a mark of someone uh, who, who's building your own ecosystem for making mm -hmm. films that yeah. takes a lot of the, the uncertainty out of your films and for you as a, as an artist, right. Yeah. You know, and in so many ways, what you're going to, what you're going to get. And this film is just absolutely beautiful. So congratulations on continuing to work with these two uh, gentlemen. <laughs> you, you mentioned, thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. I, I'm a, really, truly a big fan of your work and, and so glad that you have somehow been tricked into coming on here for the third time. I don't know, what, maybe something, <laughs> no, I hope... there's some neurological thing here going on. But no, I, really I hope uh, the fourth time isn't uh, in three years, like, yeah. like it's been since yeah. Morris. Yeah, it's, it's been more, Morris. And it's, by the way, I see it showing up on Showtime now. It's the first time I've seen it in sort yeah. of a rotation. Thankfully, yeah. Craig Robinson is so good in that film. He's so, so good. good. Yeah. Oh my God. He is. Okay. Well, uh, thank oh, go ahead. Sorry. Do you want to I was say gonna say, yeah, I love Craig. We still we still text each other every now and then. And um, yeah, that that that's probably the happiest experience I've had making a movie was that summer in Germany with those people. And you know, can't compete. A winter in Vancouver can't compete with a summer <laughs> in Germany. <laughs> well, it, he yeah, it's it's so it's it, ah, just a beautiful film. And uh, I was I'm so glad. Uh, that you continue to do the kind of films you're making. And uh, my thank you, Chad Hartigan. Thank you so very much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. The film again is Little Fish. Thank you so very right. much. Take care. Thank man. you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music